Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're talking to Olga Fitzroy, who's an engineer and mixer and also executive director of the MPG. So welcome, Olga. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. And um, how's lockdown been treating you? Um, well, I think it's better now the nursery's back, I have to say. Oh, yes. Okay. So you're not being a teacher at the moment as well as everything else, I'm guessing? No. No, my son's back in nursery, which has made all the difference. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. And um, obviously today we're here to talk mainly about, you know, the state of the recording industry at the moment. You know, all the studios have been closed and talk about them reopening, how to, you know, stay yeah. safe and everything. Because uh, there's a lot of confusion yeah. with, well, lots of industries and businesses about how they're going to, um, you know, survive and what they can do to to remain in the guidelines. So, um Starting with um, lockdown, obviously, when it first happened, so all the studios, sadly, they had to close, obviously. So um, just just in the main then, how have the studios and the industry been affected by this? So basically, pretty much every studio that I know of closed when the lockdown was announced. Now, they weren't mandated to close because they're not pubs or restaurants or hairdressers. Mm. But again, because the messaging was obviously stay at home and if you're not an essential kind of business then you know you shouldn't be working so I think pretty much every studio interpreted that as they should close I think one or two places continued to work with just people mixing on their own or mastering on their own but they certainly were not doing any recordings and um, I know some earlier research from the MPG showed that uh, it was like a horrible number. 48% of commercial recording studios were worrying, um, you know, they they thought they could really go under within three months unless there was further yeah. support from the government. Um, so what, yeah. what support, obviously we're a few months on from that now, um, what support did they urgently need and did they get it? So it's been really patchy, to be honest. Um, now, the furlough scheme has obviously benefited some studios. They've been able to furlough their employees, um, but... As I'm sure your readers will know, it's a lot of studios are just kind of really small businesses that don't have a lot of employees um, that they can that they can furlough, um, and often they rely on freelancers. Um, so a lot of their outgoings are fixed outgoings like rent and business rates, and that has been very patchy getting any kind of relief from those things. Mm-hmm. So obviously some landlords have been really understanding and have offered rent rebates or holidays or discounts to certain studios and then others haven't. Um, again, with business rates, we have been asking the government for a blanket um, holiday on business rates for recording studios, but unfortunately we haven't got that yet. Um, so it's been down to individual local authorities and individual studios to come to agreements. And some local authorities have been really helpful to recording studios and others have been really unhelpful and not made any kind of discounts available to them. So it's a really patchy picture. Mm. And it seems like, from what you've said, it's there's been no clear place of where recording studios should go for help. You know, it's a bit of a perhaps a mixed message. You know, they're having to go to different authorities and this kind of thing and not really sure exactly what help they can get. Is, is that right? I think it's just because studios are really different. So there's some that, because they're really tiny studios, they get the... Um, small business rates relief grants. So when they've got a really low rateable value, that's available to all really small businesses. But anything of any businesses that are slightly above that, there's nothing really available for them. And they're kind of relying on the goodwill of their local authority and the goodwill of their landlord. So there isn't, like you say, there isn't a blanket kind of um, scheme for them. Mm. And has that been for, you know, studios of all kinds, you know, really bigger, well-known ones and the smaller ones? 
I mean, it's been really worrying times. You know, we're still kind of sending letters to local authorities, talking to the government, trying our best to get something for them because, you know, these businesses are often operating on quite small margins and they've had about three months without any income whatsoever and still had these outgoings. So some of them are, you know, it's really desperate times, really. I know before Dean Street Studios, which obviously has had David Bowie, The Smiths, Tina Turner, yeah. Adele, uh, all these amazing yeah. artists, um, they revealed that uh, without any additional help from the government, they thought they would only survive until the end of May um, without any, you know, additional support. Um, so yeah. did did you find out, you know, what what's the situation with Dean Street Studios now and did they get any help there? They haven't had any help, unfortunately. Um, the Their council, Westminster Council, is being incredibly unhelpful. Um, they've, you know, council's got an additional top-up grant from the government, some additional money to kind of help businesses that fall through the cra- cracks. And they haven't included studios in their own criteria. So Westminster, which includes all of the West End, so all the theatres that have shut. Um, so they're going to have loads of musicians that are just desperate to work. And they're choosing not to give any help to the one place where musicians can now work, which is recording studios. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's really disappointing to see from Westminster Council that they're doing absolutely nothing to help Dean Street. But they have still managed to stay open, though, by the sounds of it. They've just started to reopen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's pretty desperate times. So, you know, they're still hoping to get something off the government. We're still, you know, asking the government if there's anything they can do because... As you say, it's not just a workplace, it's got an enormously important heritage and just to allow that to close for the want of, you know, a few thousand pounds essentially is just ridiculous. Yeah, and um, again, a bit late in the day, you know, things are just starting to ease up a little bit with some restrictions, aren't they? So the fact they're still looking for this help now when a lot of businesses are trying to come out the other side just seems ridiculous. Exactly, and, you know, recording studios are going to be at the kind of forefront of the recovery because, while gigs aren't happening, people can record, you know, albeit under social distancing. They can make recordings. They could do some behind closed doors, live streamed performances in studios. So it's like the one place where professional musicians can safely get back to work. And the government's done nothing to help them so far. Jasmine, for, who's the managing director of Dean Street Studio, said um, she had an interesting point. She said that they seem to be at the bottom of the food chain in the music industry, you know, being beaten yeah. down on rates and, you know, it's particularly yeah. hard for them that are independent, um, you know, a bit, a bit hand-to-mouth on the finances and that kind of thing. Yeah. So is, is there anything to that, do you think, about the whole being bottom of the food chain in the music industry? Absolutely, and I think it doesn't just apply to the smaller facilities. I think any independent facility is always beaten down on price and, you know, there's nowhere else they can go. I mean, they can't really ask their toilet roll supplies for a discount. Um, It's definitely, certainly, particularly, I think, from record labels, they always try, in general, to, you know, beat studios down on price and engineers, um, which means that the studios aren't perhaps as resilient as maybe some other kinds of facilities. You touched on it earlier. So, you know, unlike live venues, which are very, I suppose, more obviously affected because um, they really can't do it anywhere else, basically. Um, Recording studios have not really benefited from, you know, any of the business rates or holidays or associated grants that are announced following the lockdown. So, um, you know, obviously most closed their doors and then all the bands and orchestras and everything kind of left left out there just wondering what to do. So I'm just wondering if there's any thought to why this is and why they didn't benefit. I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I think there's 
sort of a lack of understanding really in government as to how how the music industry works, to be honest. Um, if you saw the announcement from the Department of Culture, they announced this cultural renewal task force, which has various people from culture, but hasn't got anybody from music in it. Mm. So I think, you know, that's a really clear signal from the Secretary of State that music isn't really at the top of his list of priorities. Um, now, there's various kind of working groups in the culture department that have got a lot of people from music in it. I sit on one of the working groups for music production, but the kind of top level group hasn't got anybody from music. And I think it speaks volumes about the government's priorities. Mm, I think you're right as well. And um, obviously there's the uh, engineers and producers that rent the rooms who are struggling. Um, yeah. A lot of them having a similar thing. They don't. They didn't think they'd be able to, you know, remain open for maybe three mm. months or maybe even less actually. And they're sort of at yeah. the mercy of landlords and these local authorities to give them discounts. So have you had yeah. much feedback from, from that side of things? Yeah, it's a similar sort of thing, really. Again, very patchy. You know, some landlords have been brilliant and really understanding, and then others haven't at all. Um, I mean, some of these production rooms, people have been able to continue working. Again, if they're just mixing on their own, they're going in, they're not seeing anybody else. So some people have been able to continue working. But there's a huge amount, you know, particularly the ones that maybe work in one room with a bunch of musicians. That's how they work, whether they're co-writing or producing. For those people, it's been impossible to work for the past few months. So, again, they're really struggling as well. Mm. And um, I know the MPG obviously has um, been working really hard and you've called for business rate relief and grants to be extended to the recording mm. studios. And, yeah. you know, we don't want to lose these um, venues for good, of course. So um, did you get any traction there? Like what's what's happening with that at the moment? Um, so we're still talking to officials in the Department of Culture, Media and Sport um, and they seem really keen to help studios. So when I forwarded the case of Dean Street saying, you know, Westminster Council have decided not to give them anything, the officials were quite concerned and seemed really keen to push this up the agenda. So I think amongst the officials that are working in that department, you know, some of them are ex-music industry from the private sector themselves, they do really get it and they want to help. I think it's just a question of, you know, government ministers actually wanting to do something. Um, you know, the whole, I think the whole of the cultural industries are really making a bit of a noise because, you know, they're really going to struggle. Live music's going to struggle. Theatres are going to struggle. Um, so I think they do need to, the culture sector actually needs to kind of make some noise and ask for money from the Treasury at the moment. He doesn't seem to want to do that. You know, he's just keeping his head down. Um, and I think it's a really bad look. And if in a year's time you have a bunch of theatres, venues and studios that have all closed, they're not going to reopen. And that's all going to be basically his legacy that he hasn't fought for the creative industries enough. So I think we've got people on side that are working in the department, but the Secretary of State isn't doing enough. Mm. I'm just wondering, it's more just out of curiosity, really, what, what it would take to make people think like this, think how important it is to kind of support these types of businesses, because... You know, people rely on them whether they know they do or not. We all listen to music, don't we? And without the places where it happens, what's going to happen to that side of the industry? Exactly. I mean, I think, unfortunately, it may be um, at the point where it's too late to do anything about it. Um, I mean, I think people do love music. And, you know, I think the general public would be really gutted if suddenly the UK couldn't make all the amazing records that it makes. Um, so I think if people are concerned, they need to write to their MP, they need to, you know, make a noise about it and see what they can do to support artists and venues and make sure that the industry doesn't kind of 
sorry on its arse. Mm, yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about this CBILS loan scheme. So uh, I know you've said before, you've said you know of no studios that have been able to access this loan and that banks have been refusing to lend or only offering commercial packages with quite yeah. high interest rates or very high actually. Yeah. Um, and there, there's the bounce back loan scheme step in the right direction. But yeah. you were thinking they should increase the interest fee period to 24 months. So it gives them a fighting chance, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the bounce back loan scheme from the feedback that I've had is has been easy and simple to apply to and people have got their money. So that's really good. But again, having a 12 month interest fee period when you haven't been trading for three months and then you're going to be trading at reduced capacity for the rest of the year. You know, I don't really know how some of those studios are going to pay that back. I know some studios have taken that loan in the hope that perhaps there might be some sort of rate relief or a grant or something becoming available in the future. So they've taken a loan to tie them over. But again, I think being expected to pay interest rates in 12 months' time, when we're going to be in the middle of a recession, I think, you know, they need to extend those interest-free terms or have really, really low rates of interest when, when they start charging interest. Yeah, it's good to look ahead like that, isn't it? Because um, they're not thinking of this scenario about how they're actually going to pay back this interest at the end of it. Um, it's another additional problem for them, isn't it? Even if they get through this period of what awaits them there. Yeah. So it's tough. Exactly. And, you know, as we sort of touched on before, these these businesses are not operating on high profit margins. They're very hand to mouth. So any kind of increased cost, whether it's interest rates or anything like that, is going to, you know, it could push some of them over the edge. And um, obviously, very recently, um, the government's, of course, announced that some changes to lockdown are happening and the restrictions. So, you know, people have started to return to work and pubs and cinemas, etc. can reopen. So is there any official date for recording studios to officially open safely? I know that a few have tentatively started already, haven't they? So recording studios are basically the minute Boris announced kind of saying people should go back to work. Recording studios started planning on how to do that safely um, and then referenced the government guidance on offices, factories, laboratories, which is generic, but it's very easy to adapt to recording studios. So Air and Abbey Road have kind of been at the forefront of that, you know, establishing really detailed protocols and risk assessments. And they've both been running for about three weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, studios weren't mandated to close. So therefore, there isn't an official reopening date. It's just following the government guidance and adapting it. So at the moment, they're operating under, you know, social distancing and they've got maximum capacities for their studios and a, a bunch of protocols and procedures, but they are operating and they've had orchestral sessions in, which is really, really hopeful. And again, some of the rock and roll studios also started opening their doors in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's been really good to see because I saw, obviously, Abbey Road in particular, as you mentioned, you know, they closed their doors for literally the first time ever in their 89 years. And then after 10 weeks, they did reopen, you know, following the the social distancing rules, of course, you know, having some orchestral work come in. So that's been really nice to see. Um, But do you think, you know, if people think Abbey Road's untouchable, they must have struggled too, just as um, the other studios have, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Abbey Road, I think, had... Virtually, I don't know if they had any kind of unattended masking going on, but they certainly didn't have any recording sessions going on in that time. So again, that's three months or about 10 weeks with no income, you know, for any facility, no matter how big and famous, you know, it's got to be a problem. 
you must be in discussions with a lot of um, studios, uh, particularly with what's going on anyway. Um, so what, yeah. what challenges are they talking to you about in particular f- for the immediate, um, well, now really? You know, what are they facing right now at the moment? Um, so right now, I think client confidence. Again, you know, people just feeling safe coming back into work. Um, and I think the work that the big studios are doing on that um is quite helpful because they've published a lot of their protocols online for other smaller facilities to maybe look at that and adapt what they're doing. Um, the MPG has published some guidance for opening studios. Um, so all that stuff's really helpful. Um, I think in terms of challenges, like I think the people that rely on independent artists or self-funded artists, they're going to really struggle because those artists aren't making an income from live shows. And then, again, film scoring. At the moment, there's stuff going on. But given that film production also halted for three months, there's going to be in about, I don't know, nine months' time, there's going to be a big hole in scoring sessions where productions haven't happened. So they're they're now not going into post-production and scoring. So I think probably early next year, we're really going to see a bit of a drop-off in film scores being made as well because of the halt in film production. Yeah, and I suppose maybe at the moment they're relying on a lot of composers maybe being able to do a lot of it from home. Maybe they've got a small setup there or something, but, you know, it's going to have to move on to perhaps post-production, like you say. You wouldn't think of that immediately as having that effect, would you? But there is this domino effect on the whole industry. Exactly, and then we also don't know what the future of cinema holds. Obviously, they're saying they're reopening, but are people going to feel confident to go back? Are they going to be making as much money? Um, again, you know, that might hold back some of the major Hollywood productions until things return to normal. It might, might take a year or two. So it's going to be a really long road, I think. Mm. OK, so let's talk about MPG guidance, which is obviously, yeah. you know, trying to look on the positive and seeing how, you know, we can work around it and have these studios reopen yeah. safely. So, um, of yeah. course, there's quite a few different factors to consider, one of them being travel, of course. So the government yeah. wants to, you know, encourage walking and cycling wherever possible. Of course, it's not always possible. People don't always live around the yeah. corner. I mean, wouldn't that be nice if everyone could cycle to work? But it's not really the reality, <laughs> is it, for most people? Um, no. And then public transport, you know, as with everything, last resort. So, um yeah. What, what are the guide the guidelines for that then at the moment for recording studios and people travelling to these places? Um, so we've said again, kind of what you said, you know, cycle and walk if possible. I know that the big recording studios are providing transport for their staff. So if their staff can't walk or cycle, they are actually providing taxis. But obviously, not every studio is in a position to do that. But mm-hmm. that's certainly something that the larger studios are doing, so that the staff don't have to use public transport. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's nice that they can offer that. But again, it's not realistic for most studios, is it, to be able to do that, especially if they want to get as many sessions in as they, you know, safely can. That's going to be quite a bill to rack up with taxis, especially uh, London taxis, may I add. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I don't know whether there's a case for clients that want to do a session actually paying for a taxi for the engineer to come in. So, you know, to make sure that everybody's safe. you know, I would I would suggest that it's certainly a question worth asking. Yeah. You know, I think. Okay, and on to obviously the big one, the main one, that of course we all know about, and it's being hammered into one of our social distancing, of course. So it's going to be yeah. a bit of a challenge uh, in studios, particularly you know the smaller, quirkier ones, um, with the two yeah. meter you know recommended distance between clients and staff, etc. So, um, what can they actually do here? What are the guidelines for this? So again, it's. Well, I think it's just changed to be one meter plus mitigation, but I know that 
again, the big studios are still working on two meters. You know, they have, haven't got any plans to change anything right away. They, they're going to see how it goes. Um, but there is room to for you to mitigate. So, for example, mitigation measures could include putting screens between people um, and having tests. If you know, if you're in with a band, perhaps having COVID tests. Um, Six teams is another way of mitigating. So if you're not able to distance, having the same, whether it's a band or a band and engineer, the same group of people working together and not having session musicians or any outside people coming into that fixed team. Um, that's another way of mitigating the type of ventilation that's available, um, having temperature checks going on site, having uh, pre-registration forms where you register where you certify that you haven't had any symptoms. So there's a bunch of mitigations that people can do, and it's then down to the individual facility to risk assess the activity and decide whether you know, they've mitigated the risks enough that they're prepared to do it or whether they actually think the risks are too high and they're not prepared to let it go ahead. So it's, it, it has to be done on a case-by-case basis. Mm. And do you think um, studios are being encouraged to keep sessions down to a minimum or try and, you know, pace them out as much as they can or have a gap of time or something between when people are coming in and out? I think they're kind of doing that by default, really. They're certainly, I know, I think they're only having two recording sessions in a day, as in, you know, session musician or festival sessions. Um, again, to give time for musicians to get in and out, to so that the staff don't get tired. And actually, studios across the board, when we've spoken to them, has put a real consideration on the staff, because obviously, normally in studios, you might work 12, 14-hour days. And I think across the board, studios are really mindful of not tiring out their staff and keeping sessions shorter, just to, again, just try and keep people safe and healthy. Yeah, of course. And um, what about hygiene? So obviously hand washing's obviously been very important throughout and, you know, anyway, before yeah. the coronavirus, hopefully. And um, so yeah. what should be cleaned then? And uh, should they be wearing masks? Do they have to clean every surface that they touch, every piece of equipment in the studio? Yeah, so I think um, often what's quite helpful is actually designating what different people can touch. So now in some of the studios where I've worked, only the engineer is allowed to touch the desk, not the assistant. The assistant is only allowed to touch their workstation. Um, the musicians are only allowed to touch their chair, their music stand, their instrument. And being clear, very clear about what different people are allowed to touch. Um, and again, then cleaning, obviously cleaning high contact areas like doors, door handles, things like that. But also cleaning down mixing desks, microphones, anything that's been handled after, after a session. Mm. And obviously, um, people kind of forget this side of things, the deliveries and collections. So studios are often taking deliveries late night or whatever. Yeah. It could be food, could be, you know, kit, um, equipment, yeah. hire instruments. So, um, you know, they need to consider that as well, I guess, as all industries do about staying safe when interacting with, um, you know, delivery drivers, perhaps if they have to sign for things. So what, is that affecting studios too then? Yeah, and I think that during lockdown, everyone's got quite good at doing no contact food deliveries because they've still been able to operate. So I think people are kind of quite used to doing that side of it. But obviously then the same thing has to apply to that instrument hire. Um, and I think the hire companies have got their own protocols in place um, for cleaning hire equipment. And yeah, things like you know having drop zones rather than hand, physically handing things over, that kind of thing all needs to happen. Mm. 
And um, of course, as with as with everyone, you know, if someone has symptoms, they do need to self isolate, of course, for fourteen days. So, I suppose studios need to take into account, um, you know, something could be cancelled uh, at short notice. Um, so, how, yeah. how do you think that people, the studios, and the engineers or musicians, etc., could kind of manage that side of things? I think at the moment it's kind of really everyone's feeling their way. Um, at the moment, Cotswood, fortunately. I know of no outbreaks that have happened at studios. Oh, good. So a lot of this stuff is theoretical at the moment. What would we do if this happened? But obviously people have got, you know, they've got to have their health and safety protocols in place for when there's a case. But then there is obviously the commercial aspect of cancellation um, and of when you confirm a booking and all that side of things. And I think at the moment people are very much kind of um, finding out how it's going to work. Um, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules. I think everybody wants to get back to work. So I think everybody, you know, clients, studios, contractors, record labels, everyone is being really flexible and really understanding. Um, But like I say, we haven't had any outbreaks at the moment. So it's not the sort of procedure as to what you do if something happens hasn't, hasn't yet been tested. You've been working with the Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport, so the government department, yeah. on getting more specific guidance, you know, just for this yeah. very specific kind of niche area of the music industry. So yeah. what are you hoping to get from them and what are you working with them on? Um, so they want to publish some guidance for music production, which would be recording studios and also music videos. Um, again, I think it, it would give our clients additional confidence to have something that is endorsed in some way by the government um, so we've been working on that and I know other parts of the music industry are also working on that um, so it's kind of work in progress but it's definitely I think it would be useful to have something that did give give the industry even more confidence Oh, definitely, because then they can all issue it out themselves and just show, you know, in black and white, um, you know, exactly what needs to happen and what's allowed so it kind of removes a bit of that exactly. fear factor I suppose, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, they're commissioning some more research as well, um, specific to music, which I think will be very useful for confidence as well. Mm. And um, you mentioned just now you, uh, you've been engineering the first COVID orchestral session at Air Studios. So what yeah. was that like to come back into a studio and, and do this work again after all this time away? Oh, it was lovely to see everyone. Really nice to see actual humans. Yes. Um, yeah. It was really good. And I think it was actually the first session that had happened since lockdown. So it kind of felt a bit historic. Spent a lot of time planning it, setting it up. Um, and it's slightly different setup from how I would have set it up before COVID. Well, I guess one of the sort of nicest types of sessions you could do anyway. Yeah. Um, so having them more spread out, I think, if anything, made it sound better. Okay. So it's, yeah, and I was like, beforehand, I was worried that it might be hard for them to play in tune with each other because they're further apart, but I didn't have any issues on that front at all. So I was, yeah, really pleasantly surprised at how well it went. Oh, good. That's that's nice to hear that it did still go well. Yeah. It still worked as well. So that's really great. Exactly. Um, and I remembered how to use a desk, which again was also quite... <laughs> always good to refresh the memory yeah. of what, what the job actually is, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, don't, I really don't want to say the phrase new normal. I think that should be banned with unprecedented times. But um, can studios return to any kind of normal um, or anything like that and get back on track to something, you know, resembling a little bit more what it used to be anytime soon, do you think? 
I think so. I mean, I think having people sitting in slightly different kind of formations is something that people get used to really quickly. Um, you know, I think being able to go into work, do your job, get paid, um, and see other people and do it safely is what's really important. And studios are able to do that. And I think particularly when musicians aren't able to play live, to be able to do recording sessions, even if they're slightly different from what they were like in the past, I think it's just going to make a huge difference to everybody. Mm, yeah, I think so as well. Um, okay, well, I think that's been, you know, really conclusive and nice uh, nice to hear from you today, Olga, on just everything that's been happening and what can actually be done and hopefully what sort of guidelines could be put in place to get things a little bit more back on track and hopefully it gives a bit of yeah. peace of mind to... Um, you know, all the recording studios out there and everyone else affected, the engineers, the the singers, the, you know, the instrumentalists and all of that. So, um, yes, yeah. hopefully this kind of clears things up a little bit for, for that side of things. Well, thank you so much Brilliant. for joining us today, Olga. It's been a real pleasure. And, um, yeah, thanks for taking the time just to explain it all. It's been really great. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Okay, you're very welcome. Thanks, Olga. Bye. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.